If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to Jubilee, and welcome to the sixth week of our series, Killing What's Killing You, where we've talked about things like greed and lust and anxiety and envy and bitterness. And let me tell you, it's been a chipper few weeks. And so we, uh, some of you like come in off the street, you saw the sign, Jubilee, oh, that seems like a happy place. You came in and you're like, where's the happy church at? And now you're ready to sue for false advertising. I know. But here's what we've learned. Here's a promise to one another is that is that if we're willing to, we, we, don't, we never want to sidestep the difficult issues. We never want to sidestep the difficult subjects because we're trying to project an image about ourselves individually or us as a church. But we believe that if we're willing to be honest and address those things that are really hurting us, Jesus is the one who really offers us the freedom that we can't find anywhere else. And that's where the joy comes in. And, and that's where the jubilee happens. And I'm hearing testimonies of that, how that's happening in your life. And so all throughout uh, this series. I've just heard testimony after testimony about what God's doing in their life. And, and, and if that's not you, it can be you. And I just want to encourage you, if, if you're not in a community group yet, uh, that'd be a great place where you can really go and, and be honest and, and have some of these things that are really holding you back uh, bring to new life. So, uh, But before we get started today, I just want to give some people uh, an out, right? I want to give some people an out. Like, So maybe you're here and you're like, okay, this doesn't... Include me, because as I was preparing for this message, I realized that this message isn't for everyone, because it's really difficult with the culture that we have at Jubilee to give a message that's for everyone. I mean, we've got services in four different locations, in four different cities, and we're all over the map in terms of age and background and race and life experience. It's very diverse, and I love that, but it's a challenge as a communicator to come up with a message that can impact us all. Uh, so it's really hard to talk to us all at the same time. So uh, I'm today, I'm just going to talk to one group of people, okay? I'm just going to talk to one group of people. And, and the group I'm going to talk to today are, are people who have a difficult time getting past their past. So I'm just going to talk to the people who at some point in their life have made a big mess up, all right? Just that's only people I'm going to talk to. And, and if you're here and you've never had a big mess up, I just want to say, Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And uh, you're... <laughs> It's amazing to see you once again. And, uh, but for those who, be honest, who want to be honest, we've got some help for you today. 
And uh, for those who are not, next week is Pride, and so you may want to come back next week and, <laughs> and um, have a look about that. Um, some of you know this, just my high school experience. I, uh, I, I changed high schools from, from, from sophomore to junior year. It was, it was the summer of 91. There's no song written about the summer of 91, but feels like there should be. So I was, you know, when you're going to a new school, even if you're uh, a freshman into high school, it's just, you know, you're trying to fit in, and, but it's really hard if, you're tr- if you change schools. Um, like, you don't have that history of relationship that you grew up together, now you're in high school together. So I, I come just a brand new set of relationships, and I'm, try- I'm trying to fit in. So my, I, that's what I need to do in the first uh, couple of weeks, is I need to fit in, I need to get my foot um, and the door, and so when you're, before you go to school, as you remember this, is that you get to pick out your, your classes. And they give you like the honors track and they give you like, you know, the everyone else track. And, and I was, I didn't know what to choose. And so, but there were some classes like I knew for sure I didn't want to do the honors. And they actually had like honors PE. Like you could like go, like there's like a, they had like a workout class where you could get like really serious about it. Or there's another one which I took, which was co-ed kickball. And I was like, yeah, that's me. I want to do co-ed kickball. And uh, because it was co-ed kickball, it didn't matter when it was, so they just did it after lunch, which was an, a, a, a massive administrative mistake. Uh, I don't know who made that decision, but they just had it after lunch, this co-ed kickball. And um, if you can remember, 28 years ago, some of you aren't even 28 years old, but that's 90, 1991, people didn't read labels back then about food, and so you just fed you whatever. And so every once a week at least, there was taco day, which was my favorite day. But tacos, are they were just like the greasiest, nastiest thing. I mean, then they were amazing, but like, I think about it now, it's just like greasy. How many here know what greasy Mexican food does to you? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't need to, I don't need to go there. I don't need to explain that, do I? You know? Okay. So anyway, after lunch is this co-ed PE class, except that day it was raining. And, uh, and, and the person who was in charge of this supposedly easygoing PE class was the, the high school gym coach, who was not easygoing at all. Excuse me, the high school wrestling coach, who was, who was not easygoing at all. And uh, he decides, since it's raining outside, that we're going to do physical challenges inside the gym, because it was raining. And so we do physical. So one of the challenges was sit-ups, right? And so, yeah, some of you are getting where this is going. And so we... Uh, <laughs> So, I, so they just randomly pick people, you know, to, to be partners who had to hold their feet and you, did, you know, as you did the, as you did the sit-ups, and um, I, you know, I'm, I got chose I, the person who was with me. I'm not gonna say her name just to protect all of us and and her and because um, I went to high school in this general area. I'm not even gonna tell you where I went to high school now. And so we went in this general area in this Facebook, and um, and let me just say this: she was a cheerleader. And she was one of the most popular girls in school. And the rumor had it that just about every guy in the school had asked her out at that point, and she turned them all down. She didn't go out with anybody. But it was going to be, this was my moment. Like, this was my end. All right? I, two things are going to happen. One, I was going to show her my physical prowess. Like, she was going to be, she's going to be, and that, let me, do you want to see what I look like in high school? This is what I look like in high school. So that was me in high school. Like, and so I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking between that haircut and my physical prowess, she's going to be like, can I please go out with you? And I'll say, yes, you can. Yes, you, yes, you may go out with me. Okay, we don't need that picture anymore. 
It's because I love each and every one of you. Um, and so it's time for me to do the sit-ups. And she's holding my feet and sit-up number one, sit-up number two, sit-up number three, sit-up number four. I'm just going, sit-up number five. <laughs> sit-up number five. I part her hair. And so we... Uh, <laughs> We, uh, and this is, it wasn't a cool hairstyle anymore after that. And so she, she just like, she just like ran off into the, into the locker room. I think she threw up. I'm not sure, but she, she went home, uh, sick that day. And, um, and like every, and it didn't work out so well. It didn't work out like how I imagined it in my head. And, 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 and every time, you know, every time I'd see her in the hallway, it was just like, I mean, first of all, she got a safe distance, but secondly, I, she just couldn't eye cut. Now, thankfully, 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 she felt like it was in our best interest that she mentioned this to no one. And so like, so we got that going. So anyway, but that was, that was a moment for me. And now some of you, some of you, when you look back in your past, you have events like that. You have mess ups like that, except they're not funny. You have failures in your life um, that actually cause you a lot of pain when you think about it, a lot of regret, um, maybe a lot of despair. And if you do feel that way, I just want you to know that you're in good company. What's universally true for all people, regardless of race, background, religion, gender, is that we all mess up, we all fail. And if you're new to Christianity, what brings us together is not our success, but our failures. And Christians aren't those who come together every week celebrating our success, but we're celebrating the one who loves us in spite of our lack of success, our failures. Jesus loves the world, so he loves failures. Red, yellow, black, and white, failures are precious in his sight. Jesus loves all the failures of the world. And the people in the Bible were no different. Unlike other ancient literature, the, the, the Bible doesn't hide the flaws, flaws of its heroes. In fact, it goes to great length to expose the flaws of its heroes. Not so that we can feel better about ourselves, but to see that we are just like them. And if they can fail and recover, it means that we can fail and recover. In other words, the Bible shows us that our failures do not have to define our life. And, and this is this is so, this is the most clearly true in the life of David. You see, David, um, who, who, was, who wrote this psalm in, in Psalm 51, uh, was described as a man after God's own heart. He was tall, dark, and handsome, and the Bible says that he was both, uh, he was, he was, he was both uh, handsome in face and form. Do you have both? He's courageous, compassionate. He studied and hid the word of God uh, in his heart. He played music, he wrote poetry. In other words, like if, if Daryl from The Walking Dead played the harp and led Bible studies, I mean, that's basically David, right? And so, and if you, if you don't even know what, if you don't know what Walking Dead is, don't start now. I mean, it just kind of took a dark turn. I mean, it used to be kind of like this wholesome show and then it just got, it, anyway, it went, went bad. So, but don't do that. But as we all know, even if you don't know the Bible, uh, you know that eventually David did, he had some massive success. I mean, he killed Goliath, right? We all know that story. And then what you may not know is that he did go on to have prominence in Israel. He's considered to be 
uh, Israel's most successful king. And during that rise, though, David was constantly on the run from this guy named Saul. He was kind of like this Robin Hood character. You know, David had a group of mighty men, 37 of them. Robin Hood had his merry men. And I like a, a laugh as much as the next guy, but I'll take mighty over merry. Because these guys, I mean, they were in with him. In fact, so much so that there was a time where these guys went behind an enemy camp, the Philistines, who are kind of like the, you know, the Bible's version of the Klingons. They, they went back there, and they got him. They risked their lives just to get him a drink of water. He, I'm thirsty. And they're like, all right, we're getting you some water. We're going to go risk our lives go do this. So anyway, he becomes king. And, and as a king one day, and this is what we read about, and or read the, 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 as he's looking back at this account in Psalm 51, but you can read the story more if you want in, in 2 Samuel 12. But what, what the Bible tells us is that one day he was strolling on top of his palace and he's looking around and he notices a beautiful naked woman named Bathsheba. And he got very interested in her. So he sent for her and his advisor says, well, hold on a second. Is that not the wife of Uriah the Hittite? See, Uriah the Hittite was one of David's mighty men. These 37 men who were like, were protecting his life, who went behind, who risked their life. And um, one of his advisors says, is not this the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It was, but David didn't care. He took her to bed against her will and had an affair with her. Bathsheba goes home. She realizes she conceives. She sends word back to David I'm pregnant. Now, there's a problem that David has because Uriah has not been around, so David is at risk of being found out. So he sends word to bring Uriah off the battlefield because David needs to cover his tracks. He needs Uriah to sleep with his wife. So he says, hey, send Uriah here to give me a report. And so Uriah's given the report, and David's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Okay, what? Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to go home and wash your feet, which is code for go make yourself comfortable, have a little food, have a little wine, turn on some Lionel Richie, and just like do what comes naturally, all right? So that's kind of what's going on there. And, um, but Uriah was like, how could I? My, my men are out fighting a war and sleeping in tents. They don't have food. They don't have wine. They have no comfort. They're, they don't have the comfort of their wives. I will not do this. And so he goes home and he sleeps on his front porch because Uriah is an honorable man. David is, of course, frustrated by this because he needs something to happen that's not happening. So, he's, so he invites him back to his, into his courts the next day, and he gives him a ton of food and a ton of wine, trying to get him drunk, gets him drunk to send him back home to his wife, and like, hey, you know, go wash your feet. And uh, Uriah won't do it. He goes back, and he spends another night on his front porch because Uriah is an honorable man. So David has to take it up a notch. And he takes it to a level that he never thought he would. And so what he does is he sends Uriah back to war. And he gives a note to uh, Uriah's commander to send Uriah to the front line and then withdraw your troops. And so that's what the commander does. He sends Uriah to the front line. He withdraws his troops. Uriah is killed in battle. And then Uriah, excuse me, the commander sends a letter back to David and says, and tells him about the war and says, oh, and by the way, I have some bad news. Uriah the Hittite, your faithful servant, was killed in battle. And David, in a very cold and calculous way, 
sends a note back and says, hey, don't worry about the loss of that soldier. That's kind of what happens in battle. And he had, he had no remorse. He had no guilt. He had no shame. And he had thought he had gotten away with it. But he didn't get away with it because this is what the scripture tells us. He says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, which isn't good. Like there are some things you don't do. Like you don't spin into the wind. You don't tug on Superman's cape. And you do not do things that displease the Lord. But that's what he did. And so what God did, God sent Nathan, a prophet, to David. And so Nathan comes to him and says, I got a story. I got a problem I need you to help me with. He says, there's a, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, a man, there's a rich man in your kingdom who owns lots and lots of flocks of sheep and, and just all kinds of livestock. He's very, very wealthy. And then there's this poor man who has just one sheep. It's all he has. And he loves his sheep. He's very loyal to the sheep. He cares for it. He tends to it. He's very loyal, loves this little sheep. One day, the, the rich man um, invites his friends over and wants to throw a party. But instead of taking one of his many sheep, he goes to this poor man. He takes his sheep from him, kills his sheep, and eats that and shares it with his friend. What should be done to this man? Well, David just kind of rears up in anger and says, this man should die. And then Nathan stood up and said, you are this man. And that's when it finally hit him. He, he had this moment, this true moment of self-discovery. Nathan was able to show him a mirror into his own soul. And David was plunged into the darkness. He was plunged into a darkness of guilt and shame and despair. But here's the thing. David got out. He didn't stay there. He got out. He, he committed what, I mean, just atrocious acts of sin. And he went deep down into guilt and despair, but he got out. How do, how do you get out of something like that? I mean, it almost seems unfair. It seems scandalous that you could walk away from that. In fact, if you, read the, if you remember the end of the verses in Psalm 51, he's praising, he's happy, he's rejoicing. He seems to be doing just fine. How could you have that? Well, in a word, repentance. Now, I know that's kind of an old-fashioned word, but it's kind of antiquated. But repentance is what we read about in Psalm 51 that unlocks the blessing in the midst of sin and guilt that I would say is kind of scandalous, like that shouldn't be true, but it is true. So what does repentance look like? Well, Psalm 51 says, says three things. Number one, it means to hate your sin and not yourself. Repentance means to hate your sin, not yourself. Repentance is a turning away from self toward God. It's this desire that you want to get sin in your past and you want to have nothing to do with it. And so you repent. That's what he says here in verse one. He says, just starting, starting out the scripture, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions or sin. Just get rid of them. I don't want them in my life. And again, sin is like this other old fashioned word, but man, it's the answer to every question about why things are so messed up. If there's one thing that we can all agree on in our divided society is that things are messed up, regardless of what aisle that you sit on or your perspective uh, it, we all agree that the world is messed up. Every political framework 
has problems. It all breaks down every economic system. So maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago, it was pretty much assumed that socialism is a failed system, not so much anymore, but it used to be assumed that. And the reason why is because if you give all the workers all the power, they'll get corrupt and selfish and unproductive, and we can't have that. Well, now, it, that's not a lot of our concern. A lot of our concern now is about capitalism. If you give, if you take it away, the power, if you take that away from people and you give it to all the owners and the managers, they'll get corrupt, selfish, and exploitative. And the truth is they both don't work not because they're bad systems in and of themselves, is because of sin. Sin gets in there. Sin destroys it. Everything that you and I would say is wrong, the, the genesis of that is sin. And this sin um, is something that originated a long, long time ago, it originated with the first human couple, Adam and Eve. See, in the beginning, we were, we were created for innocence and honor. The opposite of innocence is guilt. The opposite of honor is shame. And we were created for innocence and honor, that God created us in his image. God created us in, in his image, and he gave us a job to go and subdue the earth. And in that, it says that we were naked and unashamed. We had honor and we had innocence. But then sin comes in the equation, and here's the, the original sin. The original sin is a lie from the enemy that says that God cannot be trusted. He's not good. He's not looking out for your best, and there's something out there that you need that he won't give you. And when, that, when sin entered the human equation, we went from a, a community, a people of innocence and honor to guilt and shame. We, were, we, were, we had knowledge of not just good but evil. We had guilt. We, we tried to cover ourselves up with leaves because we were ashamed. And we spend our whole lives in that state knowledge of our guilt, trying to cover ourselves up from the shame. And so that's why David says um, in verse four, I have sinned against you and you alone. Uh, in fact, in 2 Samuel 12, 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's kind of like, what about Uriah and Bathsheba, right? But what, what David was saying is like, there's a sin behind every sin, and what I mean by that is that the, 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 the original sin is that God is not good and not to be trusted. And that leads to, that vertical, one big vertical sin leads, leads to all kinds of horizontal sins to one another. So tomorrow, if I had the opportunity to lie and get a bunch of money for lying, if I, if I can kind of shade the truth and that will get me a bunch of money, or I can tell the truth and not get money and it could cost me, in order for me to lie, I have to believe, I have to sin before that sin, which is I have to believe that God does not love me and doesn't have good things for me, and so I lie. And so David's, that's why David's like, look, it's, it's not, I've, I've committed sin, but it actually what, I ha what I've really done is it's against you. And this is so important because the difference between feeling re being repentant and feeling remorseful, this is what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Wouldn't that be amazing to not regret anything? Whereas worldly grief produces death. And this is why we don't like repentance because we, get, we confuse repentance with remorse. Remorse gets you to hate yourself. So like if I go over to your house and I spill some wine on your nice white carpet, first of all, why do you have white carpet? But no, it's <laughs> 
Uh, it's not my fault. It's your fault. Um, so if I, if, if I spill, but I could, I could be remorseful, like, oh man, I'm, you know, I, I can think about the effect on you and me socially and all that kind of stuff. And I go, oh, you're so stupid, Brian. You're so clumsy. And that I can be, have this regret. But that's just, that's not being repentant. That's being remorseful. That's, that's, that's looking, it's, it's beginning to hate myself. And when you think about it, remorseful is a looking back to yourself. You're looking back at your actions. That's why no one likes it. Like, don't, don't, don't beat yourself up. You don't, need to rep- you don't need to repent of anything. You're amazing. Don't, re- don't beat yourself up and don't let anyone else tell you you're wrong. They're talking about being remorseful, but this is different. This is not turning back into yourself to see how bad you are. This is turning from yourself to God. And it causes you not to hate yourself. It causes you to hate your sin. God, blot this out of my life. I don't want this. And so he leads. So firstly, it's not being... Uh, remorseful. It's about being repentant. It's not hating yourself. It's hating your sin. Secondly, it's not asking for a redo, but a rebirth. See, David, in one sense, he can't get the sin out of his mind. So in the beginning, he's talking and describing his sin. It's just branded on his conscience. You know, my transgressions and my sin, they're ever before me. This tape keeps playing over my mind over and over, but it's not just acts of sin, but he realized his dark heart by referring to his inborn corruption. He says, surely sin surrounds me. I must have been born into sin. So for him, the fact that he committed adultery and murder and lied about it were expressions of something much worse. It's like that sin was something he was born into. So if God doesn't rescue him, he'll just do more and more evil, which is why he doesn't ask for a redo, but a rebirth. He's like, you know, I can ask for a redo, but I'm just going to do it again and again and again and again and again. Remorseful or religious people still have enough confidence in their own goodness that all they want is a second chance. Just give me a second chance. Just give me a second chance. Repentant people know that a second chance won't do them any good. A religious person wants a second chance. I won't mess up. Give me another shot. I'll do better. And they overestimate themselves and they underestimate God. A Christian is simply a person who finally realizes they are a terrible leader of their life, and they can have all the second chances. They can have a million second chances, and they still won't get it right. They need a new heart. They need to become new. That's why Paul was able to say, you are now uh, new creations. Anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has passed away. And that's a place where there's no condemnation. So, so it means to ask for a rebirth, not a redo. And then finally, it means to go into a new direction. Repentance is, is change at every level. It's a change of mind, change of heart, and it's a change of direction. Like you don't, you want, you want your sin to be in your past and you want to pursue a new future. He doesn't just want to feel bad anymore, but he's asked God to make it, give him a right spirit. And in verse 10, he says, created me a clean heart referring to the rebirth. He says, and renew to me a right spirit. I want this unwavering spirit. I want, I want to go in the right direction. I want, to, I want to please you. I want to honor you. You know, some people think Christianity is just like, it's a series of sinning and then saying you're sorry. You know, I just, you know, I sin, I'm sorry, I'm sin, I'm sorry, I sin, I'm sorry. And so you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I sin, I'm sorry. That's not Christianity. That's country music, all right? So like that's Christianity. So like what you do is you like you, you go fill up your sin bucket. You go fill up your sin bucket and then you go to a priest or a pastor or a service like this and you like, I got to get rid of the guilt. Like, okay, now I'm ready to go fill it back up again. And then you just you go. And so what, and what church has become to you, 
Church is, because, is, a, is a place that you go to pay God off for what you've done wrong. So you're like, I owe, I owe, it's off to church I go. Because you're trying to, you're trying to say, maybe my good stuff will outweigh the bad stuff. And you're asking for a second chance. And you're hating yourself, not your sin. You've, you've overestimated yourself and you've underestimated God and you've underestimated how powerful sin is in your life. David wants to be clean. He wants to be new. He wants to be different. He wants to return. He wants the joy of his salvation. He wants a willing spirit. And then this, this transforms into a life of praise. He says, oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. I, I want to go in a completely new direction. And praise and joy in God is what happens when God removes the obstacle of sin in your life. There's nothing left to do except praise because now you have no regret. There's no condemnation. He's just removed it all from you. And you're not looking to yourself. You don't, it's not, repentance isn't feeling bad about yourself. That's being remorseful. Repentance is turning to God and his goodness and your mouth does get filled with praise. And something else happens. You begin to tell other people. That's what David does. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. David is not content to be forgiven and clean. He's not content to be the lone beneficiary of this kind of forgiveness, but it's so powerful and so good. He's like, come on, there's so, there's so much goodness experience that, that regret that you feel, he'll get rid of it, that pain that you feel. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how dark it is. It's not about coming here and just like putting this weight of like, oh, if you just feel bad enough, then maybe he'll forgive you. That weight of sin, he wants to remove from you. He wants to take it from you. Well, how does that happen? It happens because of verse nine and verse 11. Verse nine says, hide your face from my sins. So this is part of David's prayer. He wants, God, just don't look at my sin anymore, Right? But then he contrasts that with says, cast me not from your presence. Now, that Hebrew word for presence is, is this word panim, which literally means face. So in other words, he said, in verse 9, he says, hide, hide not your face, for, uh, uh, excuse me, hide your face from my sin. So I want you to hide your face from my sin, but hide not your face from me. Hide your face from my sin, but hide your face from me. Hide not your face from me. Now, um, the truth is, you, you can't look at someone in the eye and look at their sin at the same time. If somebody's done something against you, like really offended you, I mean, you just look the other way. I watched a comedian recently, very funny, just about how we do give each other the silent treatment. We just kind of like, you know, husbands and wife, we just kind of like ignore each other because we can't, they've wronged us and we can't look them in the eye. People who've really wronged you, you can't look. Well, I, he just said that, God, I've really wronged you. How, how in the world is God going to look him? How in the world is that going to happen? Well, that's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is what allows you to look people in the eye and no longer see their sin. And the reason why God could show David this grace is because he was able to hide his face from his sin without hiding his face from David. So what did God do? Did he sweep it under the rug? No, that would be incredibly unjust to Bathsheba and Uriah. But God answered David's prayer at great expense. You see, when Jesus was on the cross and he was being stretched out, 
and he was in utter physical, emotional, and spiritual agony, Jesus looked to the Father for help. And for the very first time, when the Son looked to the Father, the Father did not look back at the Son, but he turned his face away. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And now we know why. The Father was hiding his face from Jesus so that he could not, so that he could hide his face from our sin. He can't look, you can't and he can't look at both. He can't look at our face and he can't look at our sin at the same time. And see what happened on the cross is that all of the sin that David committed, all the murder, the lying, the cheating, the rape was put upon Jesus. So the reason why he could look David in the face and not look at his sin is because he hid his face from his son because he put all of his sin on the son. And that's what he's done for you too. Paul says that he who knew no sin became your sin so that you and I could have the righteousness of God. He put it on him. And he bore the punishment that is Jesus for our sin. And it's this reality that even in his veiled understanding, he asks, God, put this, put this reality deep into my heart. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It's not asking for a second chance, but a second birth. It's letting go of your old life and grabbing a hold of a new one. Let me ask you a question. What, what, what would it be like? What would it be like if you, if you could authentically leave here and, ha- and never ever have a regret? Wouldn't it be amazing? And then wouldn't it be an amazing way to live, to live without regret? Because that's what we're offered. We're offered a salvation without regret. You don't get that by just being remorseful. You get that by being repentant. You don't get that by looking at yourself and saying, I'm better than that. I'll do better the next time. You get that by looking to God and saying, I'll never be good enough. I'm a terrible leader of my life and you give me a million chances and I'll still mess it up. I'm gonna look to you. And he turn, when you turn to him, you confess your sin. Man, he turns your, he, he, this is another psalm, he turns your mourning into dancing. He turns your, he turns, your, um, turns your pain into a bright future. And then your mouth is full of joy and now you have a new mission in life. And now you always ask like, how in the world can people tell, man, I, I'm so shy, I could never tell other people about my faith. The reason why people can tell other people about their faith is because they've been filled with, in their inner being, a reality that they have been forgiven of their sin. They see the depth of it. They see what the pain that it caused, not just to the people, but to God. And they see the price that God was willing to pay for that to happen. And they realize it's a new reality to him. And that's where joy comes in. That's why he's like, return to me the joy of my salvation. And that's what God wants to do with you. If you've never, if you've never repented, maybe you've been coming to church for years and it's just remorse and you can handle church like maybe once or twice a month and that's the worst that you're allowed to let yourself feel <laughs> because that's what it does to you. It just reminds you that you're not good enough. The message of the Bible isn't to feel remorseful. It's not to hate yourself. It's to hate your sin. It's to turn away from yourself to him. And if you've never done that, if you've never, you you felt bad about your sin, and thank God, by the way, that you feel bad about your sin. Feeling guilty is actually a gift to you. So it, you know, if you didn't feel pain in your body, uh, you would destroy yourself. And so the guilt is good, but God doesn't want to leave you there. 
He wants to take that away. Not in a superficial way, but in a deep way. He wants to remove your sin. And he says he wants to choose to remember it no more. And so you could, if you've never received that, you can have that. And as a Christian, we have to live there. We have to remind ourselves. Like David later in Psalm 103, he's like, come on, soul, wake up. Remember all the good things he's done for you. He's healed you and he's delivered you from your iniquity. So we could leave here today. Don't leave here today. In fact, let me just give you that. Chance. Don't leave here today without leaving your, leave your regret here. Leave here, but don't go with your regret. Why don't we stand?